Welcome and thank you for joining us. At Worship Harvest, we're committed to resourcing people in worshiping God and serving others meaningfully for community transformation. Here is the week's teaching. Nairobi Chapel is a church planting church. They've planted 150 churches around the world. And one of the reasons that they have been able to do that is something that they call their T-track or transformation track. So the transformation track, they have a picture of it. It actually looks like a running track, a circle, a running track. And they have four parts. They have the reach, the connect, the grow, and the send. So it's a circle, like that. I have a business background. I did business in undergrad, I did an MBA, and so I have a business mind. So when I see things like that, I sometimes, I put business thoughts into them. So if you're a business person, or somebody that's not used to ministry, Maybe this will help you. So think of a manufacturing circuit or a manufacturing program. So the reach is taking the raw materials. We take the raw materials, we bring them into the system. That's evangelism. And then once we have the raw materials, we connect them into the system. And for us, that's connecting people to community. Once we've reached the lost, we connect them to community. And then... We grow them in the church through discipleship, but in a manufacturing circuit, that's now shaping them and forming them, the raw material, into what it's supposed to be. That's the grow. And then we go to the send. And in the manufacturing, we now send the finished product out into the world to do what it's supposed to do. In the church, we send our disciples into the mission. And then it starts all over again. This is actually something we see in Scripture. Jesus is the author of the T-Track because Jesus is the author of everything. So the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, and 20 says this, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I've given you. We know this verse, most of us. We talk about this verse, the Great Commission. So this is Jesus' T-Track. And it begins with reach. See, he begins by saying, make disciples. But the reality is, Jesus, the only disciples in the world were the ones listening to Jesus as he ascended into heaven. There were no local churches. There was nobody sitting in a community waiting to be taught more about Jesus. They were all there. So when he says, make disciples, what he really meant was, reach the lost. See, the first disciple was made when Jesus said, come and follow me. And they were made into a disciple. So make disciples is actually invite people to follow Jesus, do evangelism, reach the lost. And then he goes on to say, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now baptism is a, is a great part of the faith. It's an important milestone in our faith. But I don't think Jesus was talking about the importance of the act of baptism. Because there's a lot of things that I can think of that may be more important than just the act of baptism. But if we keep in the theme of the T-Track, baptism represents and symbolizes being connected to the body of believers. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4 said this, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. So yes, the act is important, but Jesus is saying once you have reached them and made them disciples, connect them to community. Connect them to the one Father, the one Spirit, the one hope, the one Lord, the one God of all. So Jesus says reach them and connect them to community and then teach them. And the teach them aspect is grow them up. So grow them, teach them, help them know how to follow me, teach them everything I've taught you. Now, if you're looking at this scripture, you'd say, okay, well, that's the end. There's no go. There's no send. There is a send. It just isn't where we would logically put it. See, we think reach, connect, grow, send. But if you look at the verse, it begins with, therefore, go. So we would put it at the end. Jesus puts it at the beginning. Because Christianity started by Jesus going. Our going preempts and is a precursor for somebody else's journey. So Jesus went, and then he reached, connected, and growed, and then he sent, 
the disciples, and they did the same thing. If we don't go, there is no more Christianity. It is the precursor to someone else's journey, and it begins the next cycle. So when we talk about being sent, when we talk about going, I think one of the biggest barriers is that we don't know what it means. Someone says, live as a sent person. Go. And do what? What am I supposed to do? I want to, but I don't know what does it mean for me to go. What does it mean for me to live as someone who has been sent? What does that look like? And so I think a lot of us don't go because we don't know. And you would think that this should be a very easy question. Just tell me what to do. But it's actually a very deep philosophical and theological question. It's not as easy as it sounds. Because when we're asking, what do I do when I'm sent? What we're really asking is, what is the purpose of the church? Now, when I talk about the church, I'm talking about the people, not the place. The body, not the building. The organism, not the organization. We are the church. So if I, as one single cell in the body of Christ, am asking the question, what do I do if I'm sent? What I'm really saying is, what do we as the church do when we're sent? And so it's not as easy as just that single question because it's really asking what's the purpose of the church. And if we don't know the end result that we're supposed to obtain, we'll never go. Or we'll go, but we'll end up someplace we were never supposed to be in the first place. If you get in your car and start driving and you don't have an end desired result, you'll never get there. Or you'll get somewhere and you'll say, I guess I'm here, but you don't know where the here is. We need to know where we're going. So when we're sent, we need to know where we're going and what we're supposed to do. And if we don't know where we're going and what we're supposed to do, we just won't. Or we'll end up someplace that we're not supposed to be, that God didn't intend us to be. Matthew 6, chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. This is the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. It says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is another familiar passage for us. We know this. We pray this. We can say it off the top of our head. But do we really think and pay attention to what Jesus is asking? Have we really sat down and thought about your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? What does that mean? It means he's calling for the kingdom of God, which is in heaven, to come down to earth. The perfection of heaven, the beauty of heaven, the worship, the constant worship of holy, holy, holy that happens in heaven, where God's will is done completely and fully, needs to happen down on earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done here, the same way that your will is done there. So what is being said here, what Jesus is telling us, is that we need to be agents of change. The world is not like heaven yet, but it should be. It needs to be. And that's our responsibility. That's what we are here for. We're here to make a positive difference in the world. We're here to fight evil with good. Because the church exists to possess that which is currently occupied by the enemy. The church exists to shine a light in the darkness. The church exists to push back the gates of hell in the name of Jesus. We are here to overcome the enemy with good. And so we have to wage war against the evil. We have to battle the evil and the enemy. We have to bring heaven down here to earth. Because that's why we're here. That is the purpose of Christianity. To make right what sin has made wrong. That is why we're here. That is our mission. And now mission is another word that we say a lot. We talk about a lot. But I wonder how many of us could define mission. If I came up to you or somebody came up to you on the street, they said, I'm not a Christian. What's the mission of God? Would you be able to answer? Would you be able to give them a concrete, definite answer? This is the mission of God. Let me tell you. Do you know? Because I don't think most of us know. I didn't know until like two years ago, and I've been in ministry now for like 10 plus years. So if we as leaders don't know, how can we expect you to know? How can we expect everyone to know? So we have to understand what the mission is. And most of the time, we have preconceived notions about the mission. 
because we think church missions. The church missions are mission trips, they're water well digging products, uh, they're going and helping people in the medical centers, all good things, but that's usually what we think of, the church missions. Or we think the missions department. The missions department are the people in this department that make decisions about how we do the mission. But when we think like this, what we're saying is that the church has a mission. If the church has a mission, that means I can set up the church however I want to and decide what the mission is. Because we've said what we believe about the local church informs what we believe about the mission. So we as men and women get to decide how we want to establish the church and what the church is going to do. But that's very dangerous because as men and women, we're fallible. We make mistakes. We're not God. It's actually reversed. What we really should be saying is that the church has a mission. Sorry, the mission has a church. We should be saying that the mission has a church. So everything that we do starts at Christ and moves outwards. So the reality is, what we need to be looking at is, what do we believe about Jesus? Why was Jesus here? Who was Jesus? What was the point of Jesus' life? How do I follow Jesus? And what we believe about Jesus, which is called Christology, informs missiology. What is the mission? How do we do the mission? What's the point of the mission? Why is there a mission? And that's missiology. What is our belief about the mission? And that then informs our ecclesiology. What we believe about the local church. Why is there a church? How is the church to operate? So what we believe about Jesus tells us what we believe about the mission, which tells us what we're supposed to do in our local church. Do you see the difference? The church doesn't decide the mission. The mission has decided the church. The church is the vehicle that God is using to achieve the mission. It is the church that is achieving the mission. And so the incorrect way of thinking says that I can't do anything for the mission unless I'm a part of a church. That's the incorrect way. I can't do anything for the mission unless I'm a part of a church. The correct way of thinking says I'm on mission and I can do even more for the mission in a church. Because I'm already on mission, if I get with other people who are on mission, I can do even more for the mission. The mission has a church. God created this community of believers to achieve his mission. We do not create the church and then decide what we should do. So we need to understand what the mission is and realize it's an important factor of if we go or not. Because if we don't know what we're supposed to do or what it is, we just won't go. There's a couple years where I lived in Chicago and I was a part of a church there. Community Christian Church. And they're always referring to people as missional people. Constantly. Missional people should do this. Missional people live like this. A missional person looks like this. Basically, a missional person is someone of God on mission with God. So a missional person is a person of God on mission with God. Missional and sent are the same thing. If you're living as a sent person, you're living as a missional person. So for the rest of today, I'll just say a sent person. If we are to live as sent people, what does that mean? What does that look like? The same church in Chicago defines the mission using three R's. Reach, restore, reproduce. The mission of God is to reach the lost. The mission of God is to restore God's dream for creation. And the mission of God is to reproduce the mission in other people. Reach, restore, reproduce. So let me just take a few minutes to go through those things. The first one, reach. Reach the lost is evangelism. We need to tell people about Jesus. Luke chapter 15, the entire chapter is three different parables about evangelism. The first one is the parable of the lost sheep. The shepherd had a hundred sheep, but one is missing. So he says, I'll leave these 99 here so that I can go and find the one. He finds the one, he throws a party and celebrates. 
Parable number two is a lady with ten silver coins. The lady with ten silver coins loses one. She cleans her house top and bottom until she finds the one coin. Then she throws a party, celebrating that she found the coin. The third one is the prodigal son or the lost son. The son who asks his father for all of his inheritance and then goes to a foreign country, wastes everything, and decides he's going to come back and beg his father to take him back as a slave, as a servant. From a far distance, the father sees the son coming, and the father runs to the son, wraps his arm around him, says, I love you, welcome back, here's my robe, my ring, and my sandals. Come back in the home. Those, that's a full chapter in the book of Luke. From those three parables alone, we know that God cares for the lost, so we have to care for the lost. Jesus is pursuing people that don't know him, and so we have to pursue them because of him. The first two stories, people actively went looking. The shepherd looked for the lost sheep. The woman looked for the lost coin. Sheep are not intelligent creatures. So he couldn't assume that the sheep knew where he was. He had to go looking. Lost people don't know that they need Jesus. We can't assume they're going to come looking for him. We have to take Jesus to them. The coin would have just stayed in the crack or wherever it was had the woman not cleaned the house to look for it. Lost people will just stay in their little home wherever they are in the world unless we go and look for them. And even the father ran to the son. The son was coming and the father ran to the son. As we see people pursuing Jesus, we run to them and welcome them into the family. So if God cares for the lost and we have to too, then we have to ask ourselves two questions. First question, where do I find lost people? Where do I find people that don't know Jesus? It's not a hard question. We know we can find them in pubs, in casinos, in sports betting places. Some of the malls we go to, some of the different places that are around the city. We can find lost people if we want to find lost people. They're not hiding. They aren't. The second question we have to ask, if I don't change anything about my life, if I go through the same routine tomorrow that I did today, where will I encounter lost people? They're there. Where will you find them? If you have a guard that guards your estate, they may not know Jesus. You buy groceries, probably from the same grocery store, every time you buy groceries, the teller may not know Jesus. The bank teller may not know Jesus. If you take public transport, half the people in your taxi probably don't know Jesus. If we don't change anything, if we just open our eyes and open our mouths, we will still find lost people. But we have to go to where they are, even if it's uncomfortable, inconvenient, or embarrassing. It was an inconvenience for the shepherd to leave the 99 to find the one. It was exhausting for the woman to clean her entire house. And it was embarrassing for the father to run to the son. Are we willing to be inconvenienced, exhausted, and embarrassing to find lost people? Most of the time, I don't think we are. But if God cares for the lost, we have to also. If we are to live as sent people, then we have to be actively involved in the process of helping people to know Jesus. So that's reach the lost. That's the first one. The second one, restore God's dream for creation. Restore God's dream for creation. When God created the world, it was perfect. He said, it's good. And I'm sure he had a smile on his face because nobody says it's good and doesn't smile. He was pleased with what he created. It was perfect and he had a dream. I want it to be like this. And then sin came and spoiled everything. So our job is to restore God's dream for creation. It's to bring heaven down to earth. It's to make the world great again. That's the point. And this shows itself in two major ways because the world is broken and needs to be fixed. The first way is through hurting people. There are people in the world that have been neglected, abused, misused. They are hurting at no fault of their own. Another group of people are those who have no one and have nothing. 
Widows, orphans, refugees. They have no one and they have nothing. These people are hurting. And it's our responsibility to restore God's dream for their lives. Micah chapter 6 verse 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? He requires that you act justly, that you love mercy, and that you will walk humbly with your God. So when we are sent people, God expects us to help those who are hurting. He expects us to help those who have no one and nothing. We can't leave them the way that they are. We have to take responsibility. We have to do something to change their circumstances. What it means to show mercy is that people are suffering, and we have to show them mercy by carrying some of their load, by taking some of their pain. We're showing them mercy because they're under all of this weight, this oppression, these cares, these burdens. But if we're going to help, if we're going to show mercy, then we lift them up and carry some of the burden. If we're going to walk humbly, it means that I need to see these people who are hurting with no one and nothing and say they have just as much value and worth as I do. I'm not special because I don't have some of the problems that they have. But I need to help them get on their feet. I need to walk alongside of them and lift them up from their distress, from the mud and the muck and the mire, and not leave them the way that I found them. So as sent people, we have to be actively involved in the process of improving people's situations by acting, showing mercy, and walking humbly. Now the second part of this, so those are the people that are hurting, people that have nothing and no one. But the second part are the human rights systemic issues that we face in our society. So there are people that are hurting, and there are systems that are hurting our people. And we have to care for both. Because it's one thing to help a person who's hurting and we need to do that. It's another to keep people from hurting in the future. And so if we're going to do something to keep people from hurting in the future, we have to do something about corruption, human trafficking, addictions, racism, sexism, tribalism. These are systems and ways of thinking that are hurting our people now and are going to continue to hurt people in the future unless we do something. Evil prevails when good men do nothing. So if we want the world to look the way that it is, don't do anything. If you want the world to change, step up and do something. So we have to be concerned about the harmful systems that are around us that are hurting people. So we have to act justly. To act justly means that we can't allow injustice. That we have to step up and speak out against those who are creating unjust systems. We have to step up and speak out against those who are being hurt by the systems. And we have to act in such a fashion that we will see real and lasting change. As sent people, we have to be actively involved in acting justly. So ask yourself this question. As you drive home, as you go about your day-to-day, -day, as you go about this week, who are the hurting people around you? Who are the people that have no one and have nothing? What are the systems that you're seeing around you that something needs to be done about and how can you do something about it? Because part of being on mission is walking humbly, acting justly, and showing mercy. So that's number two. Number three, reproduce the mission in others. Reproduce the mission in others. This is the final R of mission. This is discipleship. See, we have been given a command to reproduce, and not just the physical reproduction, but the spiritual reproduction. Back to Matthew 28, 18. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. Teach them to obey the commands I've given you. 2 Timothy 2, 2. Teach these truths to other people who will pass them on to other people. And Genesis 9, 7, now be fruitful and multiply and repopulate the earth. Again, that's not just having babies, it's having spiritual babies and growing them and sending them out and repopulating the earth. Let me do a quick side, side note here. In Europe, we'll use Germany specifically. In 20 years, Germany will be a Muslim country. Do you know why? Because the Christian Germans are not having babies anymore, and the Muslims are having nine or ten kids per family. 
Strictly by them having children, raising them up as Muslims, they're going to take over Germany. So yes, we need to have spiritual babies. We also need to keep having babies. As Africans, we do that pretty well. So let's keep doing that, but let's also train up people who aren't our biological children and repopulate the earth through discipleship. If we're not reproducing the mission in other people, we are not on mission. If we don't put the mission in other people, we are not on mission. So that means all of us need someone or some people that we are pouring our lives into consistently and constantly. Not when it's convenient, not once every six months, but con consistently and constantly. It is on your calendar this week at this time, every week at this time, every two weeks at this time. I'm sitting down with so-and-so, and I'm going to pour my life into them and help them to know what it means to follow Jesus. Now, this often scares us because we don't know what it means. What does it mean to disciple somebody? You don't have to be a teacher or a scholar. You just have to know what it means to love God and to love people. That's it. You tell them how you read the Bible. You tell them how you pray. You tell them how you care for people. You let them see how you live. That's discipleship. It's what the life that you live is doing to make the world a better place. Discipleship is what you do. It is not what you know. If you are a follower of Christ, then just let other people see how you follow Jesus. That's it. And the other thing, when discipleship, it happens in one-on-one -on -one situations, but it also happens in your missional communities. Discipleship does not happen very much on Sunday mornings. It happens in your missional communities. It happens in one-on-one -on -one situations because it happens when you do life with people. We're giving you knowledge and encouragement and wisdom and challenge on Sunday mornings, but we're doing discipleship in the missional communities and when we do life with people. So if you want to grow to be like Jesus, find a missional community. As sent people, we have to be actively involved in reproducing the mission in others. Before you leave today, or do it now as I'm talking, write down three names. Maybe a family member, maybe a child, maybe someone in work, maybe someone in your missional community, someone here this morning. If someone held a gun to your head and said, you need to start discipling somebody tomorrow, who would you choose? They're there. We just don't want to do it. Or we don't know how to do it because we're scared. It's easy. Just do life with them. But write down names of people that you can start to reproduce the mission in others with. So very simply, the mission of God is reaching the lost, restoring God's dream for the world, and reproducing the mission in others. To be sent people means we're doing evangelism, discipleship, and social justice. We're bringing heaven down to earth. That's why we're here. Each of us as individuals have to take up that call. I want to give you an example uh, of a few different places where some people are as I, as I get closer to finishing this morning. How many football fans do we have here? Just put up, how many football fans? A good number. So, all right. I don't know who you root for. I don't know who you, who you cheer for. I don't know what your team is. Arsenal, Man U, Liverpool, Chelsea. Doesn't matter. Just think of your team, yeah? All right. So your team has fans. You're a fan, if you put your hand up especially. And you cheer for your team, and you want your team to win, and you love your team. But if the team wins, it's good. And if the team loses, eh, it doesn't impact my life. Now, it can hurt a little bit. I know that feeling. But it really doesn't matter, if we're honest. Now, football teams, your favorite football team, also has sponsors. They have people who give money to the team so that the team can have nicer jerseys, nicer uniforms, so that the field can look nice. You know, the patches that they have on their jerseys, those are sponsors. They have given money to the team so that the team can be better. And if the team does well, the sponsors are happy because it means more money for me. But if the team does badly, the sponsors will be thinking, I don't think I can have my name on a losing team. Let me take my money to this team over here. They're better. And they'll move their money to another team that's a winner. Your favorite football team also have players. You know them by name. You cheer for them. 
They have players. The players have invested their entire life to the success of that team. Everything that they do, everything that they think about, everything is going towards the success of the team. If the team wins, life is good. If the team loses, it's devastating because everything in their life is geared towards the team being successful. Now let me bring this home. In Christianity, we have fans. Some of us sitting here this morning are fans. We like Jesus. We like the church. We come, we sing the songs, we listen to the sermons, and then we go home. For fans, church begins at 11.15 and ends at 12.55. That's, that's church. And whether the church is moving the mission forward or not, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really impact. But then the church has sponsors. A sponsor in the church is someone who has decided, I have, I have things. I like Jesus, so I want to give my things to Jesus and to the church and to the mission. Let me tithe. Let me give some money to the building project. Let me give some land to a new location, maybe outside of the city. Let me open my home to visiting pastors or people who are coming in. I want to give my things to the mission, but I don't really want to be on mission, but I want to see the mission go better. But now if the church is struggling, they're like, maybe that's not a good investment. Maybe I'll move my things to another church that's doing things for Jesus. And then there are those of us that are players. We are living as sent people. We've committed everything. Every waking hour of the day is committed to Jesus. Our things are given to Jesus. Our time is given to Jesus. We've invested everything in the mission of God. If the mission isn't going well, it impacts us deeply. And if the mission goes well, we're praising our Savior. We fully believe, those as players fully believe in the idea that my purpose is to bring heaven down to earth. We are reaching the lost, restoring God's dream for the world, and reproducing the mission in others. What I think God wants to do this morning, I think in each one of our lives, wherever you are, and I don't care where you are, by the way, it doesn't matter. What matters is where you will be when you leave. So, what I think God wants to do is he wants to shift us from one stage to the next. He doesn't want us to stay where we are. He wants to move us to the next level. So if you're a fan, if you're just coming, sing the songs, listening to the music, and you're not being impacted or you're not doing anything for the mission, he wants to shift you to become a supporter. He wants you to start giving what you believe is yours but is actually his back to him. He wants you to start supporting and sponsoring the mission. He wants you to give your money, your things, your materials, your time. He wants you to give and sponsor the mission, support the mission, help the mission do more. And you'll have a hundred reasons why not to do it, because you know this is mine. But it isn't yours, and he wants you to give it back. Because you are a sent person, you need to support and sponsor his work. Now, if you're living as a sponsor, if you're a supporter, if you're giving your things, he wants you to shift to become a player. He doesn't want you just to give your things. He wants you to give your life, your personhood, your being to the mission. And so you can't stay just giving your things. He wants you to give your life. And it's going to seem crazy. And it's going to seem illogical. And it's going to be scary. But the reality is we can't shift from one place to the next without risk because that means giving up ourselves for Jesus. That shift is a dying of self so that Christ can live more in you. That's what that shift represents. Less of me, more of him. So the only way for us to do that and to shift to the next level is to let go of who we are. So if we're supporters, we have to get in the game. We have to become a player. We have to be on mission. We have to live as a sent person. Now, if you're a player, you're probably sit sitting there thinking, I've arrived. There's nothing for me to do. 
Incorrect. There's two things for you to do. If you're a player, if you're reaching, reproducing, and restoring, and you're actively a part of the game, if you've invested your life, the first thing that you need to do is become a player coach. You know a player coach? You both play, but you also coach the team. So there are people who are fans and supporters. They don't know how to take the step. But you're already a player, so you reach down and you help them take the step. You help them shift to the next level. You keep doing mission, and you help other people get on mission. You keep living as a sent person, and you coach them in how to be a sent person. If you're a player, the second thing you need to do, so you answer the call, Jesus said go, and you've gone, and you were in way over your head. And you're like, how am I going to do this? This is crazy. This is, doesn't make any sense. And then after a year, the water level came down. Then after two years, it came down a little more. And now you've been sent and you've gone for maybe 10 years and you're, you're barely in over your toes. It's become comfortable. You need to go deeper. If you're on mission already, you need to keep going into the darkness. Because there are other people who are becoming supporters and players who will fill the void behind you and you keep being the tip of the spear, moving things forward deeper and deeper into the darkness of the world. So just because Jesus said go and we went, we never stop going. We never stay in one place. That means find new ways to minister to the people you're ministering to. Or do it on a bigger scale. Or find new people to reach out to. And that's what that means. That's the second shift of a player to a player coach and to deeper water. If you're a fan, if you like Jesus, you like Christianity, but you're not actively engaged in the mission, if you're not in the game, Jesus hasn't called any of us to be fans. We are called to follow Christ, and following Christ means action. We're not called to watch Christ. The book of James said, your faith without deeds is dead. So if we proclaim Christianity, but we're not having good deeds with our faith, we have to seriously question if we're saved or not. Because if we're not on mission, but we call ourselves a Christian, there's no good deeds with your faith. We're not just trying to keep ourselves from hell. We're trying to bring heaven down to earth. As sponsors... We need to be sponsors. Everybody needs to give their things to the mission. But you can't stay there. Because God didn't call for our things, he called for our life. And our life is more than the things we own. So we have to shift from just giving the things we own to giving him all of ourself. So we can't stay as supporters only. We're all supporters, but we have to shift and become players. Worship Harvest is, is moving in a, a, the same direction in a different way. You know, there's, we want to plant the, the 1,000 churches in the next number of years. Now we're having discussions about them growing by 50% every year. So as a church, as, a, as an organization, there's nine campuses, nine locations right now. To grow by 50% next year, we add four and a half churches. Four and a half new locations. The year after that... We'd be 13 and a half, so we'll make it 14. Half of that is seven. So we add seven more churches, we become 21. Year on, year off, 50% growth. In the first 12 years, Worship Harvest has started nine campuses, which is amazing, by the way. But it has done what it has done because of the players and the supporters that are here. The players and the supporters, as a part of the Worship Harvest Ministries, are the reason why the organization has started nine new campuses, nine new locations. But for them to take the next step, for the organization to shift to the next level, it only happens if we shift to the next level. If we as individuals don't shift from a fan to a supporter and a supporter to a player, Worship Harvest will not be able to do the things that they're dreaming about doing for the kingdom. Are you following me? If we don't move, the church doesn't move. Do you know how sports teams will go back to football? Do you know how a football team gets better? More sponsors and more players. That's how they become better. 
Do you know how a church increases its impact? More sponsors and more players. Let me put it another way. If we as a, as a group, as a community of believers, if we don't reach the dreams that we're dreaming, if we don't make the impact that we want to make, if we don't maximize the potential of all that we have, it won't be the leadership's fault. It will be our fault because we didn't answer the call to go. We have already been asked to go, but if we don't go, we won't maximize the impact that God has called us to make. That's the reality, that we as individuals have been sent. So we need to reach, reproduce, and restore. That is what it means to be on mission. That is what it means to be sent. And maybe that's not something you want to do. Maybe you're like, nah. You don't have an excuse anymore because I've told you what the mission is. I've told you very clearly, and I've given you an opportunity to think through who you could disciple, where you could go to evangelize, and where you could make the world a better place. So now you can't say, I don't know. There's no more excuses saying, I don't know what the mission is. That's no longer something you can tell people. So if you don't shift, if you don't get into the game, it's no longer, I don't know how, it's, I'm rebelling against Jesus. It's disobedience not to get on mission. From here forward, it is disobedience. And so if that's not something you want to do, if you don't want to be on mission, there are plenty of churches that aren't on mission throughout Uganda. And their doors are open every Sunday also. But if you want to be on mission, if you want to make an impact, if you want to see Uganda changed, stay here. Because this church is going to do that with or without you. But with you, they'll do even more. And it'll be even more amazing. Even greater testimony. So stay. And get in the game. And watch God do amazing things. Let me end there. I want to just take any questions, any comments, any thoughts, uh, anything that maybe came up that I was unclear about, because I don't want you to not know how to live as someone who has been sent. It's vital to our walk. It's vital to our ability to follow Jesus. Is there anything that came out today that you want clarity on, or maybe just something that was helpful for you that maybe would be helpful for other people? Yes, sir. Hi, everyone. How are you? I'm called Richard. Um, thank you so much for that uh, rich restore and reproduce. It's actually very vital uh, for us to actually get that. When you get to know that, you know, you start from the part of the mission, move into the church. But it is also very critical to understand that, you know, when you speak of church, you're actually talking about people and not buildings. If you speak of church and what comes into your head is a building, you're going to find yourself limited in as far as what you can do even when you walk back to your community, where you stay, where you work, where you do business. Um, and I'll share just in one, maybe in, eight, in 40 seconds what I do. I'm a business development consultant and we build models, business models. When you build a good model in business, the business will flourish. But what you have to continue doing is you have to continue refining that model. Churches, however, don't work like that. Churches grow because of Christ. However good or efficient you are at building a model or how effective you can run that, it will flourish for some time, but after 10, 20 years, it will collapse. And that's what we're seeing happening even in the United States and many other areas. So you don't want to get caught in a trap of being efficient at what you do. The Bible says that my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Just depend on God, focus, keep your focus on Christ, and he is the one who's going to perfect you. He's the one who's going to perfect us to be the church that he, he said he will start. Thank you.
Praise God. My name is John. Uh, thank you, Matt Miller, for the word. So I serve at Katikati. So I've been on some kind of leave for quite some time. So, so for these past three weeks, I've been coming here. Uh, so I was feeling tired. Uh, I wanted to rest. But with today's sermon, I've been re-energized that I'm on mission, you know. This life is not my own. I have to go out and, you know, serve God's people. Yeah, so I'm a teacher and so I have the children to, you know, to share my life with. And that's a good opportunity because, as he said, in Germany, the Muslims are taking over. So if we can teach our children from a tender age to follow Christ, then we, we shall have our country secured for God. Amen? So thank you so much. I've been refreshed. I'm going to go back, serve God with everything that I have in Jesus' name. Hello? This uh, is quiet. Yeah. But my name is Alvin Elisha Were, and I've been listening to Les Brown. He's a motivational speaker. And one thing that he said that really, really made me actually cry was that he said that the wealthiest place in the world is not in the big buildings, it's not in the countries, but it's in the grave. Reason being is that so many people God has called them to be certain things. For example, they've called them to be engineers. They've called them to be doctors. They've called them to be teachers. But because they have feared to become that person that God has called them, so they take that vision and that great wealth unto the grave. When I heard him say this, this really made me cry because I was actually going to work. My mom was taking me. And I really felt so sad. So I'll give two examples. For example, about the church begins on Monday. There was once I was coming from Ark, and a motorcycle, he was riding very fast, so he fell down, and everyone was passing him. But I felt the temptation to be like, um, I definitely don't want to cause it would be a shame. And I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know if everyone has felt that, but when you're in that awkward moment, you feel like, ah, no, 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 I don't want to do this. But I just said, you know what? What would Christ do? So I went to him with all that, I'd say, nervousness, all that awkwardness, and I said, you know what? I'm going to pick myself up. I went to him, carried his motorcycle. Uh, we pulled up his motorcycle, got his groceries, because it seemed like he was going somewhere. So got his groceries and everything and gave it to him. But I felt like at that moment when I did that, I felt that I had really done something, if I could say, yeah, I felt I, could, I had really done something. Then one other thing about, this is all still with church beginning. And then, uh, as I was saying, I listened to Les Brown, and he said that one of the things that you do, uh, okay, yes, you may want to go for, you may be busy and all that, but just take a little time to do something. Maybe God has called you to be a business person or to be a doctor. Just take some time to do it. You don't need to overdo it. And one of the things I've started for, uh, is I've started a chicken business. Basically, I feel that God has called me to influence in terms of business. So that's, that's really what God has called me because in terms of business, I feel that's how God has really called me in terms of that's what God has really called me. So that's what I wanted to say. Thank you very much. Good afternoon, church. Mine is, a, uh, I guess, a question. I would need some advice because I run an NGO in Western Uganda. So for me, the challenge is... I could raise money and throw money to a problem. But 
as someone who's learning about God's mission, it can't be about that anymore. Because what happens when I leave that community? I'll have left. Who cares what Marion has done? But people would probably care about God, the work of God, because that's more lasting. So how do you strike that balance between doing good and then doing good as the, as the church? Thank you. Um, I'll, I'll echo what my, the leader of New Thing, we are on a call with him yesterday, and he said, you start small and you dream big. If you throw money at a problem and then you leave, you've done good, but if it's not sustainable, how much good have we done? We've helped some people and that's good, but we haven't fixed the systemic human rights issue. And so sometimes just putting money into something actually can cause more harm than good. So start small. If you, if you change one person's life, that's a win. If they forever know how to live life in a way that they can sustain themselves and make, make money and make ends meet, then they're helping other people. And you've impacted one person, but you really have impacted a community. But if you start small with just you and one person, somebody else is going to hear about it. They might want to come and join you. Or an organization might want to come and train and do something and help you. So you dream big, you want to change the entire part of Western Uganda, but you start with what's in front of you, with what you can know you can sustain and will be sustainable even if you're not there. Does that make sense? Okay. It's good. It's a great question. It's a good thing to wrestle with because a lot of people think if we just give money, we fixed it, but we haven't. Worship Harvest Nalia. God has called us already. Let's go and get into the game and make the world a better place. Let's bring our beautiful heaven down to earth. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this teaching. We hope you've been blessed by the Worship Harvest Sermon Series. For more teachings and other resources, visit www.worshipharvest.org or call 0312-281-555.